her now saved, but washed by the Lamb. My brother's a king, the son of I am. Sometimes I forget to whom I belong. Then the sweet spirit cries, my child, I'm still on the throne, and he's still on the throne, so what could be wrong? It is well with my soul, let the stormy winds blow, I'm reminded today. song while the ages roll on he's still on the throne old satan has power and sometimes i'm weak at times i give up and he walks over me then someone comes by with words loud and strong Arise my child, it is high I'm still on the throne And he's still on the throne So what could be wrong? It is well with my soul Let the stormy winds blow I'm reminded today Thank God I am saved song while the ages roll on he's still on the throne and he's still on the throne so what could be wrong it is well with my soul let the stormy winds blow i'm reminded today thank god i am saved salvation sweet song while the ages roll on He's still on the throne. Salvation, sweet song, while the ages roll on. He's still on the throne. Wow. <clears throat> Seems to be just one word there that I kept messing up on. My throat kept giving out on. That's all right. If it's only one out of all of those, I'm pretty happy about that. All right, gentlemen, take this down again. Here we go. <clears throat> We're not in our same one. We're in a different study today. We're on true riches. I'm going to go ahead and continue this format with the front. <clears throat> I kind of like it. <clears throat> it keeps me from being stuck in notes all the time. I keep the notes up front and makes it a little easier on everybody. True riches, that's what we're going to talk about. Obviously, uh, we live in a world today where, uh, you know, Satan's defining what riches are. And, you know, just like we find over in the book of Judges, or Joshua, excuse me, where he talks about good success, uh, we know that God has some things that are good success versus what the world calls success. And uh, we certainly know that there are some riches that the world would say are very important and valuable, but in reality, in relationship to Christ in eternity, eh, they're not so hot after all. And so <clears throat> we want to take the time today to consider this topic, true riches. And we're going to look at it over the next few weeks. We're going to continue um, looking at it um, in the book of uh, Psalms, chapter 23. That's where we're actually going to be taking all of our uh, uh, scripture from over these next weeks, right there in the book of Psalms. And we're going to draw out of Psalms 
this idea of true riches. And so uh, let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll take a read on that passage, and then we'll move along. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for this time together. Lord, I certainly thank you for the music already, the, just the gospel and song. Lord, we thank you for the congregational singing and Lord, just for the fact and the privilege that we have to gather here. <clears throat> Lord, we are so thankful that you saved our soul, thankful that we have the privilege of being part of your family, and Lord, that we don't have to worry about where we'll spend eternity. But Lord, we still have to live in this life, and sometimes, Lord, it seems that we're enamored by the world, that somehow we're, I don't know, caught up with the glit and glitter of the everyday life and the things that the world says are valuable and important. Help us, Lord, to truly grab hold of and embrace this idea of true riches. May we, Father, truly understand the need to invest eternally and not just temporally. And, Father, that there are some things that are more valuable than what the, the devil has basically convinced us of. Father, we need you now. We love you. We give you the glory and the honor for it in Christ's name. Amen. He says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green she- uh, pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters, he restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Again, over these next few weeks, we're going to be talking about about uh, <clears throat> riches, and in this particular case, we're looking at some pictures of worldly riches. And, you know, if we would talk to you and say, well, what are some things of, you know, what are some of the uh, characteristics or what are some of the possessions of the rich and famous? We'd say things like, well, you know, fast cars and beautiful cars and uh, just the gold and the glit and glitter, big homes, and, you know, we'd say even things like, you know, a uh, a good relationship and all of that stuff. We'd say that's, that's, that's what's really important. Man, gold and silver and precious stones, all of those things. Man, that's, that's valuable. And, you know, that's, that the world says that's what's important, you know. They'll say those things as well. <clears throat> and, you know, those things in and of themselves aren't necessarily wrong, but they can become problems. And so, you know, as a, ch- a child of God, though, there are some things that are much more valuable than what you're seeing back there on the table, uh, back there on the screen, I should say. And, and we have to keep a, an eye on some of those things. It, someone says, well, there's nothing wrong with this one. It is if one of those becomes a God in your life, that becomes a problem. Then that's a worldly rich, riches now. That's not just a, a, an eternal riches. You've got to be careful because anything and everything in our life can become an idol. Everything and everything in our life can stand between us and God. And someone says, yeah, but if God says it's good, yeah, but it may not be the best. And if it's not what God wants for us and if we're putting it before Him, we've got a problem. I don't care how good it is. Uh, so you have to be very careful with those issues, and you have to be really careful with those kind of things that sound really good, that everybody tells you, well, you have to do this because that's this, and blah, blah, blah. You know, yeah, you better be careful. Worldly riches, there they are. I'd like to have a car like that. I'd look good in that thing. I, I think I would. I, I'd like a house like that if I didn't have to pay the bills. <clears throat> but I don't think I'd want to have a house like that if I had to pay the bills. That's a big old house, isn't it? All right. Well, anyway, those are just some ideas, some worldly riches. Pretty simple, pretty clear. So concerning worldly riches, we're going to note a couple of things along the way as we kick this off because we're going to be talking about uh, true riches, you know. And, and so we're not going to spend a lot of time on worldly riches, but as we kick off the series, I want to, I want to note a couple of things about worldly riches. 
First of all, there's an exhortation that's given to us in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 8 through 11. Who will read that for me? I know it's already up there, but I don't feel like reading it tonight, and I want everybody to hear it, not just read it. Go ahead. Would you stand and do that for me, please? <clears throat> All right, here we have a couple of things. First of all, we see the design uncovered. In verse uh, 8, it says, And having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. Notice it says, what's it say? Food and what? Food and raiment. Food and raiment. Where's housing there? It's not there, is it? People say, well, God promises to give you a roof over your head. Jesus didn't have one. I'm just telling you that God says you need to be content with food and raiment. Someone says, I've never owned a house. And some, some of you ladies, you know, listen, we understand security is a big uh, need in your life. That's important. But let me tell you, if you never own a house, it's not be, it, your husband hasn't been rebellious or disobedient to God necessarily. <clears throat> I mean, I'm just looking at the Bible now. Again, you can base it on what you've been taught. You can base it on what you've been told. <clears throat> you can base it on how you were raised. That's fine too. But let me tell you, there's not one thing in the Word of God that promises you a home except a home in heaven. Because this is not your home. This is not your world. We're just uh, pilgrims passing through, the Bible says. So first of all, the design is that food and raiment let us therewith be content. <clears throat> or let us be therewith content. <clears throat> so many times we have much greater expectations on God than God says He promised to give us. You have to be careful when it comes to these physical things. You know, there's not in the New Testament, you know where your promises are and mine are? They're in spiritual things, not physical God doesn't promise you health. He doesn't promise you good times and good days like that. What He does promise you, though, is spiritual well-being. He does promise you joy. He does promise you eternal life. He does promise you a home in heaven. But, you know, sometimes we get the idea that God owes us something. No, listen, if anything, we owe Him everything. Anything that we have that's good cometh from the Father of lights, where, where there's no very much the shadow of turning. But the fact is, is that He doesn't owe us anything. And he doesn't have to give us anything. Everything we have is a blessing. You got a healthy child in your arms, you gotta thank God for that, because he didn't have to do that. <clears throat> he didn't promise to do that at least. He just uh, said that he'd take care of us, and he does. So we see the design uncovered, having food and raiment, let us there with be content. Then we see the desire unrestrained. In in verse nine he goes on to say, But they that will be rich. Notice it says they that will be rich. There's an element there where it's where I'm gonna be rich. I wanna have a lot of money. I want to be somebody of, 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 of you know, high caliber. I, 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 want, I want to be recognized as somebody that's rich. Okay, It's not they that are rich necessarily, but they that will be rich. I mean, when you've got a heart for, for money, when you want to succeed, and, and that's your drive, that's your goal, all there is is just that's your God, you've got a problem. Now listen, I, I, I'm going to tell you something. <clears throat> I think one of the things we lost in our, our culture today is, is a drive to succeed, is our big dreams. I'm about sick and tired of everybody winning a trophy that plays uh, soccer. I thought the winners were supposed to get trophies. Yeah, come on, preacher. 
I thought that's how it's supposed to be. I thought there is supposed to be a competition. I thought that we're supposed to try to, to win the race, not just run the race. Now, now listen, we're to run our races, yes, but we're to, be, we're to be doing our very best filled with the Spirit to get to that finish line. My race isn't against Cody. Cody's isn't against me. But, man, I ought to be racing against myself in a sense. I don't know about you, but anytime I do a job, I sit there and look at the clock and say, listen, I want to do it faster this time. I don't know. I'm making everything a competition in my life. And, you know, someone says, well, you're not supposed to compete. Well, I understand. I understand all that. But, but what is it that's your, your, your desire in your life? What's your goals in your life? What is it you want to accomplish? I wish every guy that left Community Baptist Temple to start a church or take over one said, I want to build a bigger church than a pastor ever thought of. I wish that's their heart. I want God to use me to reach everybody in my whole city. I'd like to have a church of 30,000 if I could. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm about tired of people saying, you should go out humble, brother. You shouldn't want anything but what God gives you. What do you mean what God gives you? He gave you the Holy Spirit. said you do greater works than he did. Amen. My goodness. What's wrong with wanting something big? What's wrong with having a big day and wanting to see God win thousands to Christ if God would give them to you? Why not try at least? Why not work at it? Why not have some goals and dreams? There's nothing wrong with that. But hold on. But they that will be rich, he says, if you're going to make money your goal, you're going to make success financially your goal, then he says, listen, fall, you're going to fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. You're heading down the wrong road. You're really putting stock in the wrong thing. That's all he's saying. How many people have been disappointed when they sought after finances and money to try to make a name for themselves? How many of them were disappointed? A lot. And how many of them were ultimately ruined by the very, uh, the very treasures or, goal, or the very goal that they reached? numbers of them listen again there's nothing wrong you start a business if i was starting a business today i'd want to make as much money as i possibly could doing that business I mean, why not that means i can give god more and i'm not just talking about 10 percent, my friend i'm talking about giving god something of value i'm saying i want to make millions so i can give god millions and millions of dollars and i love how uh brother um we just saw a, a group from uh, sturgis was it Sturgis Baptist up at Ips- No, the church up in Ypsilanti, Ypsilanti Baptist Temple up in Michigan was at the, uh, the conference, uh, at the, not the conference, but the RTTC or whatever it's called, the competition. Anyway, that's where uh, I told my son whenever he, he said that, or I heard that church was there, I said, hey, that's where, where Brother um, Russell Anderson goes. And I said, well, Brother Russell Anderson has really gave a lot of money to missions and to the work of God. He didn't give no 10% either. Man, I tell you what, if you made $50 million and you, you gave 45 of it to God and you still had $5 million in your pocket, you'd feel pretty good about now, wouldn't you? That's what I'm saying, man. What's wrong with trying to make money if you can? But if money's your goal, that's a problem. That's the problem. See, but they that will be rich, that's, that's a problem. That, that's the desire unrestrained. You got your desires going the wrong direction. And when they're unstrained like that, you're heading for a real problem. He goes on to say that we see, the, uh, we see here also that he says uh, the destruction unleashed. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after they erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. How many times have you seen people fall out of church, err from the faith because they're trying to make more money? Got my overtime. They're not even getting rich. But money's their God. But money's their God. I'm not hearing a whole lot of people talk much here. We're not getting much feedback right now. Because, see, you know what we've been sold to lie? Is that all that matters is our family. Yeah, come on. That's all that matters. 
My wife deserves a big house. My wife deserves a nice car. Your wife deserves food and raiment. You better be real careful with that. You better be real careful what you think God owes you. Now listen, I'm not trying to be a, a nasty person here. I'm telling you, if you'll put God first and you'll do things God's way, I promise you God will take care of you. I'm not saying you're going to be rich. I'll tell you what, I've always said, I don't care what my sons do in life, but what I do care is that they do whatever they do for God. I don't care if they're, they're, they're over here picking up trash on the side of the road, but if they're happy in Jesus, I'll be happy for them. Money's not what it's all about in life, folks. And worldly riches are something that the devil has even tempted the saint in and somehow got us to believe somehow that that's what really matters is how well you are set or established in finances. You got a lot of money in the stock market a few years back. You might have lost a lot of money. And you know what? There's going to be some more adjustments. There's going to be some more setbacks along the way. If I had my choice, if I could do it right now, I'd just bury all my money. I'd, I'd bury it. I'd rather have what I've got than have to take a chance on it somewhere in the economy that we're in that I don't think will be there by the time I retire anyway. And if they do, they're going to change the currency on us anyhow. And what we do have, we're going to get pennies on the dollar. I mean, really, you, I mean, you really think that we're getting set up for a wonderful uh, retirement when you're 50 years old like I am now? 20 years from now, who knows what the world will look like? I was listening to the guy over here at, at Edison this morning on the radio talking about this wonderful transition that they made some years ago and how it helped them to go not just local but national and all of this stuff. And I, th I said to my wife, yeah, but still all the men are losing their benefits. Wow, thanks a lot for that. We're sure glad you guys profited on that one. I'm just saying, nobody's looking out after us but God anyway. You might as well just trust Him. The design uncovered, the desire unrestrained, the destruction unleashed in verse 10. Finally, the duty unveiled. What's our duty then as a result of this, as we recognize this, this difficulty here? Notice it says, But thou, O man of faith, flee these things. Flee what things? The love of money. Flee what things? That, that our desire, our goal is to be rich. Flee those things and follow after what? Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. That's what we should follow after. That ought to be our greatest goal. It's not wrong to have things, but it's wrong to make things our God. That's what he's talking about, and that's what he's saying. Worldly riches, the exhortation, that's what he's sharing with us. He's trying to encourage us and instruct us and help us in this area of worldly riches. We see the exhortation, but we note the example. We consider Joshua chapter 7, verse 20. Who will read verse 20 and 21 for me? Who will do that? All right, I'll do it. And Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and thus and thus have I done. When I saw among the spoils a goodly Babylonian garment and 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold of 50 shekels weight, then I coveted them and took them, and behold, they are hid in the earth in the midst of my tent and the silver under it. Now, we understand that Israel had attacked and gone, uh, gone after Jericho. We know that the walls fell flat. There wasn't one fatality that's recorded in the Word of God. God blessed them with a tremendous victory that day. They, they then run over to Ai, and uh, they're going to take this small little city or town or whatever it is. I mean, nothing in comparison to Jericho at all. Send up a, a group of men up there to take care of business. They come back with their tail between their legs, buddy. I mean to tell you, they got run off by this little teeny army. 
And, and so, man, I mean, Joshua and the people are just devastated. They don't know what to do about it. They start, Joshua goes to God and says, what in the world's going on, God? What, what in the world, why in the world can't we whoop them like we did uh, Jericho? I mean, come on, you were with us with that major city, and here we are with this small little place called Ai. We can't even, def- uh, can't even destroy it. We can't even uh, get victory over it. And what we find is later on is that this man by the name of Achan, I mean, to tell you, it says here in chapter 7 that he broke, he broke God's command there in Jericho. God told him, you destroy everything. Don't you take anything with you. Oh, he saw something among the spoils in goodly Babylonian gar- Babylonish garments. Now, hold on. Think about that for a minute. Jericho. You've got to believe that Jericho would represent the world, don't you? And, and Achan, I think, would have to represent God's people. So I think there's a problem when God's people start coveting after the things of the world. Does that make sense? Now, again, there's nothing wrong. I'm not opposed to having a good, a, a good, a good job. I'm not opposed to making a good living. I'm not opposed to any of that. You, as, as that uh, preacher I used to have used to say, green goes with every suit I got. I have no problem with that. No problem at all with that, okay? But, but here's the problem. When those things become more of a necessity, or should I say a priority in our life, then when, when these things that we just talked about do, I mean, when righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and meekness take a back seat, a back seat to they that will be rich, a back seat to the love of money, then we've got a real problem. And that's exactly what happened in the book of Joshua with Achan. Man, things of God took a back seat to him. He saw some things. And man, that drew him to it. And he was tempted and he failed. He, f- he fell right on the spot. Matter of fact, later on here, this is the problem, and this is the example we see. Verse 7, 24 through 25, And Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, and the silver, and the garment, and the wedge of gold, and his sons, and his daughters, his oxen, and his asses, his sheep, his tent, and all that he had. And they brought them unto the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, Why hast thou troubled us? The Lord shall trouble thee this day. And all Israel stoned him with stones and burned them with fire. After they had stoned them with stones. So all of his children lost their lives. Everything gone. All because he couldn't keep his eyes off of the things of the world and ultimately his hands, really. Listen, when you start coveting after you start feeling like you want something that you know biblically and scripturally is not to be a priority in your life then you better stop looking and by all means do not touch because in the end it's going to cost you and all those around you you no man is an island no man lives and dies alone everybody affects somebody we can't forget that ever and so that's the example that we have of this. We have worldly riches. And Achan, of course, was caught up in worldly riches. And again, it's, it's a, there's a foothold of this in our lives as, 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 as you know, men of God even, women of God. If, if we could really be honest today, and we could put some, and I told my wife I'm going to do this one day. I'm going to create a message where I have choose this, this, or this. And I'm going to prove to everybody that all of us, have a problem with that one right there. We all do. 
we're raised that way. We're raised to believe that's all that really matters. You can't live without money. You can't live without this. You can't live without that. I don't ever hear anybody go, I can't live without my, my devotions without God. I can't live without them. I couldn't, I couldn't make it through the day. I couldn't face the day at all if I didn't wake up and spend time with God. How many times do I hear Christians say those things? That's all I'm saying. I'm telling you that as a whole, we have been, we've bought into the lie of Satan concerning worldly riches. We have to be so careful. Finally, we see the end. When we talk about worldly riches, the reason why God says don't put so much stock in them, because in the end we're going to find that there's really nothing to them. They're going to be burned up. Second Peter 3, 10 through 12. Who will read that for me? Go ahead, Brother Dean. Okay, in the passage, we see the fact. Thank you, Brother Dean. 10a. It says, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. That's a fact. It's going to happen. Now, again, we know doctrinally that this is taking place. Uh, the day, of, the, the day of, uh, of the Lord here has to do with uh, a time that we're already taken out. Okay? The rapture is already taking place at this point as we look at that particular verse and where it sets in history uh, in the future, I should say, actually. And, and, but, but yet, you have to also understand that that when we start talking about the return or second coming of Christ, it's in stages. So the day of the Lord is kicked off, of course, with the tribulation, moves right on in to the millennium, okay? And so that day is going to come as a thief in the night. That's all there is to it. We read about it in Matthew and some other places in the Bible. But, but it's coming. The Lord's returning, not just to rapture the church out, but He's coming back one day to establish and set up His kingdom. And that's what it's referring to there. But what we're going to find is, is that... And that day, at the end of that thousand years especially, we're going to see that the heavens shall pass away with a great noise. So we see the fire. Notice they're going to melt with fervent heat. The earth and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Everything that's been established here, everything that's taken place here, everything on the earth itself, physically, um, you know, finances and gold and silver and all of those things will be burned up. That's all there is to it. Because the Bible goes on to ultimately tell us in, in, that that. Everything's going to go. Eventually, even a, a new heaven, new earth will be in, in place. So notice the fact, the fire, the foresight. In verse 11 and 12, it says, See then that all these, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved. Okay, so here we go now. We've got the day of the Lord, this fact. He's coming back. And when he does, he's going to ultimately, ultimately destroy all worldly riches. They're going to be melted down. They're going to be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved. What manner of persons ought ye, ye, right here, out here tonight. What manner, watch this now. What manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Did you get that? Seeing that everything you own, everything you're putting your effort into, if it's strictly worldly, if it's for the purpose of increasing yours, he says, with that in mind, okay, 
Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, they're going to be burned up. Realize that, recognize it, understand it. What manner of persons ought you to be in holy conversation and godliness? Why, why would you focus your attention on things if they're going to be burned up anyway, saying? Instead, you ought to be focusing your attention, as we read earlier, on the things of God, on holy conversation and godliness. Godliness. Looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, the elements shall melt with fervent heat. He says, you ought to be preparing for that day. You ought to be readying yourself for that day. Oh, yeah, again, there's nothing wrong. Go home, take a hot bath, enjoy the house God's given you. Enjoy the blessings God's bestowed upon you. Absolutely. But do not say, don't don't in any way give God credit for taking you away from God, taking you away from the Word of God, taking you away from prayer, taking you away from meditation in the Scriptures, taking you away from memorizing Scriptures, taking you away from from, uh, winning souls and being heavenly-minded and eternally minded. Don't thank God. Don't say that's God's business. God did that. God blessed me with all of this stuff so that I could not serve him and not do what God wants me to do. That's ridiculous. He says, don't you realize that if that's what your goals are and if that's what's most important to you, it's just going to be burned up anyway, seeing then that these things shall be dissolved. What manner of persons ought you to be in holy conversation? Your lifestyle ought to be holy. Your words ought to be holy. You ought to be giving yourself to godliness and to, to the things of God. Why in the world worry about these things here? They're going to be gone anyway. That's what he's saying there. Because ultimately we see the future. Revelation 21.1 And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away and there was no more sea. He's saying, listen, even the whole world itself is going to be gone. Everything you've invested in, everything you've given your life to is going to be gone. Isn't that something? Now, you know what makes that so wonderful? You know what's so wonderful about that? All those people that lost their lives in the early church, that had nothing. They were lucky to find a place even to lay their head at night, let alone have a place to stay. That had the clothes off their, uh, on their back ripped off of them, sent into exile because of their faith in Christ. Those who lost children and wives and husbands and family members because of their faith in Christ had nothing, zero that this world calls riches. They didn't miss on a thing. Because in the end, that's not what matters anyway. For eternity, they'll be the richest. See, while many people that have spent their lives trying to acquire many riches and goods in this life will be paupers, in a sense, eternally. And somebody says, well, we're all Christians, so it don't matter what I do on earth. I'm saved, and that's all that matters. Good. You believe whatever you want. Let me tell you something. I don't want to look him in the face ashamed because all I cared about was now and not tomorrow. I don't want to do it. Not when he's warned me and exhorted me and told me there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And I'm going to tell you something. Man, I want to be set and pretty for eternity. Those rewards are real. And I've got to believe there's some people that have gone through life with very little that have a lot to look forward to. Temporal pleasure, temporal riches only lasts for so long. Worldly riches will all fade away. True riches are found in Christ and in the Word of God. That's it. Do you realize that this is going to last forever? Right here, it's going to last forever. Who's got... um, Hold that, that... What's that right there? Hold that up in the air. No, that right there. 
there. You're holding it right in your hand. No, that right there. You touched it right there. Yeah, hold that up. Yeah, hold it up. You see that case right there? That case can be burned up. Now, what do you got right there? Is that one of them iPads or something? A Kindle. Hold that up. I could use that. <laughs> but nonetheless, that right there is going to be burned up. He could work a lifetime to own a million of those. It won't do him any good in eternity. You realize that? All this stuff I'm holding into my hand, this pulpit itself, be burned up. The clothes on your back, the home, the bed you lay in tonight, burned up, gone one day. Think about how much time we spend in that bed, laying around, sleeping. How much time we spend on our Kindles, how much time we spend in a newspaper that's going to be burned up. Spend time on, on the internet, spend time on our Facenet, Facebook, spend time doing all of those things. Think about how much time we spend on things that are just going to be burned up. And all along, we've got something that's eternal right in front of us all the time. We don't spend hardly any time in this. Hardly any in comparison. Do you know that most Christians don't even have a personal time with God every day? Probably 75% of people at Community Baptist Temple don't. I mean, statistically, it's higher than that, but... We'll say in this church, probably. I'm talking about every day. You're consistent. Same time, same place. You're up. You're at it. Not hit and miss. Not most of the time. I'm talking about all the time. How sad is that when you think about it? That we're going to turn around one day and all we'll have is what we spent time in this word and in the things for Christ. And we don't even spend time in it to know what he wants from us and what ought to be important. This is where you find out what's important to God. You don't find that out from, from just mom and dad growing up. Now, if mom and dad are godly and they've been getting it from God, you may have a good clue. But let me tell you something. That's not going to keep you in the book. That's not going to keep you right with God. You better figure it out for yourself. Right there it is. You better get in that book and figure it out. And that's where God tells us what's important. It's funny to me how many men later down the road will say, you know, I wish I had spent more time with my kids. And I say, you know what? That's probably true. You probably should have. But isn't it sad that even believers never say, I wish I'd have spent more time with God? Isn't that pitiful? Our kids are more important to us than God. And God's the one who gave them to us. If He wanted, He could take them home. But we, 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 all we care about is the things of this world. Let's just be honest. You know what? If we're going to get past the superficial level of Christianity that exists today in America... We better start identifying what God says is valuable and important. We better start figuring out that He's still everything. And there's really nothing else that matters but Him. And if we put Him in His right place, then everything else will fall into the right place. But we're so often trying to justify what we love because down deep we know He's supposed to have first place. But He don't get it. So we're going to try to talk ourselves into believing that we're really that godly and good anyway. Because we put emphasis in certain areas that everybody says, oh, that's what a good dad should be. That's what a good husband should do. That's what a good wife is. That's what a good kid is. No, let's identify what God says is important. And let's put that first. You know what happens when you do that? Everything else will fall in place. When's the last time you spent time with God and didn't ask for a thing? You didn't ask for a thing. You just spent time with him. 
And that was sufficient. That was enough just to be in his presence. Usually, most of the time, we jump right into prayer, and all prayer is is a list of needs and wants. God, I need. God, I want. God, this. God, that. Even if it's for other people. I'm not, I'm not saying. I'm just telling you. I'm, I'm just asking. When's the last time you got on your knees and it was enough just to be in his presence? Well, I have my time to pray. What, one time a day? Is there any other time you ever just go to God just to go to God because you enjoy being with him? That's what I'm talking about. Let's have a walk with God, a relationship with him. And then we'll identify what's really important. Listen, God wants us to raise our kids for God. You know, what are you doing to raise them for God? You know, we let them watch TV. We let them play video games. We let them play ball. We let them do this. We let them do that. When was the last time you had your family devotions? When was the last time you sat down and just read the Bible together and just talked about how good God is? And that ought to be something you do regularly, consistently. That ought to be important because it, ought, it says to your kids, who's important in your home? That God's the center of it. God has to be in the middle of it all. He's got to be the focal point. Just like the pulpit is supposed to be the focal point of this church. When you walk in, it should be the preaching right there at the front. When you walk into a home, Jesus ought to be evident. It ought to be Him first. Boy, we need that today, don't we? And so, true riches or wealth without wings. Isn't that good? Things that aren't going to fly away. Amen? I like that. If you want to feel rich... Just count the things you have that money can't buy. Isn't that good? You might not have the things the world says is riches, but you might be the richest man or woman on earth right now. And if we'll be happy and content with the things God gives us, boy, we'll, we'll be content and happy. <laughs> Otherwise, we'll be miserable. God help us today to put Him first and not be focused on worldly riches. But ultimately, as we'll see here, true riches. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for all you do for us and all you mean to us. Lord, it's so easy to get caught up in the things of the world. They're not bad in and of themselves. But, Father, when they take the place of you, when we start substituting them for, uh, substituting them for you, and Lord, that, that's when it's a problem. And, Lord, we don't, we don't want to be in that position. Father, we want to be in a place where you're first. And, Lord... Um, it's, you don't have, we don't have to choose between our wives and you. We don't have to choose between our families and you. We just need to choose you first, and then 